friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences, where we are changing the culture one conversation at a time. We are the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. We address the issues that interest you, puzzle you, and flame you in the hope that we can bring some clarity, even to the darkest corners. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, or you can catch the Encore at 5 p.m. We are also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Our radio show is always a podcast. Go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Really happy to be with you this week and also to bring you some great guests. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Thank you for joining us again this week. You've seen, I'm sure, all the headlines about all the terrible extremist violence against uh, pro-life pregnancy centers, amongst other religious places like churches, including my own pro-life pregnancy center where I volunteer here in Miami. I I am a doctor who volunteers uh, to read the ultrasounds that are done on some of these women for free, where they get to see their babies, sometimes with the dads. It's a beautiful work. Um, We're going to be talking today, a pro-life warrior that is doing great things for women in need in the state of Pennsylvania. Her name is Marie Joseph, and she runs two pro-life pregnancy centers in the state. She first started in 2009, and she joins us today to discuss the great work that she does. And you're really going to be amazed when you hear the extent of how she helps women and families. First, we turn our attention to the lovely Sisters of Life. They do tremendous work helping women choose life. Sister Mary Grace is with us, alongside our mutual, very good friend, Catherine Jean Lopez of the National Review. She works very closely with the Sisters and campaigns for life every day on her feet, on the sidewalks, and also in the National Review and all, all, the, all the great work that she does. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Catherine and Sister Mary Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Such a gift to be here. Sister, yeah. we wanted to take uh, yeah. some time here. On, on our show and highlight the, the wonderful work that you and your fellow mm-hmm. sisters do. We wanted to hear about it and um, get our, our listeners interested in it and in, in praying for your work and in, and in knowing more about how the church, uh, all of us being the church, of course, aren't just, we're not just about ideas and, and promoting good yeah. things as much as that is important. We're also about physically helping with our hands and, and embracing you know, the results yeah. of, a, of a pro-life culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one hundred at a time, but it's also a, a totally dependent on a, on a on a combined effort. You know, we're all in this together, and that's one of the biggest gifts that we have as Sister of Life is kind of on the front line, being able to see people from all different walks of life come together, uh, and that can be sometimes the most supportive and powerful um, assistance we can give anyone is to give them a sense of we being with them, community, and a, and a swell, really a whole groundswell of people uniting to be there for them. There's nothing like human contact. There's nothing like seeing symp- yeah. sympathy in a fellow human being's eyes, an uh-huh. arm, an arm ready to embrace I think that that's um, without that we we can really do no good I think yeah absolutely I mean God has God has entrusted a particular vision of his of his of his self and his love to every human life so um, we're all entrusted with this incredible gift not only to give of ourselves but really reveal reveal the face of God and his love and his life to the world and each other and and you're right you, you can't replace a hug you can't replace looking into someone's eyes and communicating you know I'm with you you're not alone 
religion, God is merciful, all those things that we know and believe in our heart really become incarnate when we actually communicate them by word or a smile or, you know, picking someone up for an appointment or just sending them a text or encouraging them that we're there for them. Uh, that human relationship, for sure, it's, it's, it, it tells us who God is. He's personal and he's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sister, tell us, give us a thumbnail sketch of the Sisters of Life, who you are, uh, where you are, and, and what's, yeah. what is your mission, your vocation? Absolutely. That's a great question. Well, we, as, as you said, we're the Sisters of Life, and we're a Catholic religious community of sisters that, in essence, believe that every person is good. You know, that every single human life, no matter what we're going through, what we've been through, what we've done or haven't yet done, uh, that we're good. We're inherently sacred. Uh, and each one of us is a is a unique reflection of, of God himself. But, you know, it's easy to say these things in passing or even hear it at church or hear it growing up, but today it can be even more easier to forget or, you know, maybe no one's ever spoken that truth to us. Well, you know, it's something we've kind of taken for granted. But the good news is that God doesn't forget these things about us. You know, he doesn't forget the way he loved us and what he made us for. And his plans are good for us. And we get to see this every day with the women that we get to work with. Uh, we, we do a number of different missions that includes uh, women who are struggling with a pregnancy uh, and helping them really to experience themselves as, as loved and supported, you know, whether that be practical emotional needs and accompaniment so that they can make a decision in, in freedom really encourage and not be bound or set back by fear uh, and we also offer weekend retreats for people of all walks of life and at different points in their life just to rest again in, in the truths of who we are and why we're made and rest in the goodness of, of God's plan for us and that, that he's with us and for us and kind of be restored in those truths on a weekend getaway so that we can re-enter back into our lives based on um, the true reality of our lives as gifts and we also uh, we do a bunch of other things we also give talks and different opportunities for evangelization. We come and visit places that, that want to that want to know the truth and, and delve in it more about their own goodness and, and meaning and purpose in life because it's so easily forgotten today and often the world can tell us, you know, unless you achieve, earn or prove yourself, you're only worthy of, of, of love and, and respect and that's so not true. You know, this is this is a gift that each one of us has, that we're, we're really made in God's image and likeness and we have a profound dignity without doing anything but just simply being ourselves. Uh, and we also have the great gift of, of walking alongside women who have suffered the experience of an abortion and see the infinite mercy of God meet them where they are, heal them and restore them to a new life and depth that they often didn't think was imaginable for them before. And so to see new life breathe into to every walk of life is such a gift, gift for us as sisters and, and really gives us as sisters faith to believe and see the wonders of God um, in each human heart as we walk with and accompany people. What a collection of beautiful things that you do. So, so needed yeah. in this world that's so atomized people are so alone and mm-hmm. fragmented and sister how many there are you that's a good question we are we are healthy and growing which is good we um we're just over about 115 now around about there and we're looking forward to um welcoming actually in the house that i serve in here um 10 brave young women that are going to courageously enter our community in, in about a month's time amazing and we're spread out we're spread out all over the u.s where um and we're also in canada so most of our missions we were kind of born and raised in new york city uh, our founder cardinal o'connor was a navy chaplain uh, and also the archbishop of new york at the time in 1991 when he uh, really received the inspiration from the holy spirit to raise up a community of young women who would essentially lay down their lives for the truth that every good every person is good and to really proclaim that with their lives because it's worthy it's a truth worthy of every person being
being being yeah, filled with and, and reminded of. And, and we need, all of us need to hear that every day and, and to be reminded of it in our day and culture. Um, so it would allow us to grow um, in, the, in the identity of, of who we really are, and that is children of God, which, which really sets us free. If there are yeah, any please. listeners, if there are any listeners who, who lose hope sometimes about our youth and then mm-hmm. they hear you say that you have 10 young women yeah. who are ready uh-huh. to lay down their lives and, and just serve God yeah. and their fellow man for the rest, for the rest yeah. of their lives, that's so, that's beyond, yeah. that's beyond thrilling and it fills all of our hearts yeah. with hope. Catherine, when you are very close to the Sisters for Life, every time, almost every time I see you um, at some function or another, yeah. uh, you have one or two of these wonderful ladies with you, sometimes more. And um, <laughs> how did you meet them and how did you become so so intimate with them? Gracie, you, you um, love the uh, adoption topic. And I actually remember there was, there was an event that I did at a Jewish office um, on adoption. And we had, there's a picture, this is a great picture where there was one row of yarmulkes and one row of veil. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just a beautiful ecumenical coming together in New York. I met the sisters, um, very long time ago, um, when I was, I was doing, um, pro-life work in, in New York City and, and the, the sisters have always run, well, have since Cardinal O'Connor run the Respect of, of Life Office in, in the Archdiocese of New York. Um, and one of the things that I love the most about the Sisters of Life, first of all, there there are pro-life credibility. Cardinal O'Connor said, if if there's a woman who needs help from the who's pregnant and needs help come to the Catholic Church and mm-hmm. and the sisters of life are how the church provides having women live with them and and all the other different ministries as sister Mary Grace outlined mm-hmm. but they also show us the way to be pro-life how do you build a cultural life they really are manifestation of the gospel of life that that um, John Paul II wrote about in in Evangelium Vitae all of those many years ago and um, they show us that you can't, it's not enough to oppose abortion. It's not enough to want Roe v. Wade overturned. It's not enough to defund Planned Parenthood. We have to love people into life. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, um, they have a very popular uh, prayer called the Litany of Trust. And yeah. the beginning of the prayer is from the belief that I have to earn your love. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable. Deliver me, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Pray this prayer and you realize first of all oh wait it's it, it must not only be me <laughs> you know mm-hmm. because somebody thought to write a prayer and mass produce it and you know so many of the girls and young women who go into abortion clinics are feeling like they're unlovable you know mm-hmm. that's that's in many cases why they're having sex in the first place you know um that, that they could never do this the sister can tell many, many more stories than I can, but I've seen with my own eyes girls be in front of Planned Parenthood, then go to the Sisters of Life convent and just be loved. They don't, the first word they say to you is not, don't have an abortion, you know, it's, it's do you want some tea, you know, get comfortable, you know, they, they encounter them as human beings because they it's not see. It's not hatred of abortion, mm-hmm. it's love right. of it's the, love. the poor woman who even begins to contemplate it out of that out yeah, of that wretched place exactly. 
that that our heart is in. Exactly. What a beautiful focus to put the focus on on loving that 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 poor so woman. So the sisters of life really are, are showing us how we can love with an issue, you know, the abortion issue and assisted suicide and all these threats uh, to innocent human life. They really have become so politicized, and the sisters like, sort of humanize the issue again by by yeah leading with love, which is what we need to do. You know. Again, pro-lifers, I worry sometimes we, you know, we're busy and there's the temptation to just have your position or maybe just give a donation to the Sisters of Life, which you should absolutely consider doing. But also, do the people in our lives know that it's not judging that we're about. If you are pregnant and it was not planned, we will help you. We will love mm-hmm. you. We will not judge you. Mm-hmm. I do worry sometimes, even when I'm standing outside an abortion clinic praying the rosary, especially in New York, there's such hostility. I worry that, that people think that we're judging as, as we're pra- praying, pray for us sinners. You know, I, I stand out there penitential that, you know, we haven't been able to love these women better, you know, who deserve so much better than um, walking into an abortion clinic. And, you know, and, um, um, I, and so many of the women that stand outside abortion clinics and pray are themselves hurt by abortion. And what right. they're trying to do, right. and maybe other people don't understand this, is what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep other women safe from what hurt them because their lives have become in so many ways a misery of regret and self-reproach and you're right I think most of us are activated by love but it how do we make that more present to others like the sisters of life do there's something about your habits and and your veils your set apartness that Mm -hmm. inspires so much trust uh, Sister Mary, and it inspires trust yeah. in the human heart because we can see by the way by the way you dress mm-hmm. that you have yeah. you have made an act of great love, and that you're mm-hmm. and that you are ready to love uh, your your the the people around you with that unconditional love with which you know God loves you. Yeah, yeah, it's powerful. You know, I've only ever experienced the habit to be a bridge to people. Really, mm-hmm. you know, there's something there's something uh, powerful in it that it communicates to someone whether or not we even speak to them directly. But seeing a sister can often, um, you know, like really proclaim the truth that God is with us. You know, He has not forgotten us. Um, he is not distant and far off. He's actually right beside us. He's on the streets. He's walking on the pavements. He's interested in us, invested in us, and um, He's really for us. It's it's awesome to have the experiences that we do have, even just walking on the streets and people just really it helps with conversation. You know, small chat is very limited when you're when you're wearing wearing the habit of a sister because people know what you're about and they know that you're there for you inherently most of the time, and that really allows an openness for people to receive the truth that God's God's with them. You know, and he and he's and he's not here to judge and set us apart, but he's really here to to welcome us home and respect our freedom and and give us an opportunity to live for something more than ourselves to to have a hope that there might be something more than just what we see visibly with our eyes you know that 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 there's a deeper meaning and and a a journey that we're all on if you're just joining us you're listening to conversations with consequences i'm your hostess dr gracie christian we're talking to Catherine jean lopez of the national review and also to sister mary grace of the sisters of life a growing beautiful uh, order of nuns that devotes themselves in in a large part to to showing the um, to showing the face of love so sister what how did you find your vocation to the sisters of life 
That's a great question. God really found me. <laughs> I didn't. I definitely didn't grow up dreaming. This would be uh, a natural consequence in my life. Uh, I grew up in the beach, uh, Sydney side in, in Australia, and you know I never even met a sister growing up, so it was never on the horizon. Uh, but but God has a, a plan for each one of us, and He knows exactly the right time uh, to invite us uh, and to draw us closer to Himself. I was actually my first year out in high school, and there was a big Catholic event that came to Sydney, Australia, called World Youth Day. And uh, this, and it's kind of it's one of these big events where really hundreds of thousands of Catholics descend upon one country. Uh, it's incredible and inspiring. Uh, but it wasn't in the big events that I really experienced the possibility of a vocation. And that was actually when I met the sisters at just a small event during this World Youth Day event. And I remember the first time I met the sisters, I was honestly just really taken aback by them. They were real. They were joyful. Uh, and they were actually women deeply in love with someone. You know, and I'd grown up Catholic my whole life, uh, and it was definitely, you know, it, it was a devotional faith. Like, I loved it. You know, I went, we went to Mass on Sundays. We prayed the rosary when we could. But it wasn't until I met the sisters that I really was awakened to the reality that Christianity is falling in love with the God who loved us first. Uh, and I saw that in these sisters. They embodied it. Uh, and that really kind of sparked a journey for myself to really just search for this God that was personal and real and actually made a difference in people's lives. And so I just pursued the sisters and, and kind of kept in touch with them for a couple of years. But I also went on to study and get a degree in theology and, and really honestly just wanted to spend the rest of my life either competing in, in sports or organizing sports events. That was kind of my, my world dream to make the Olympics one day. That I thought I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, but, you know, the more I searched and pursued that path, the more I could notice a restlessness in my heart that actually ached for more. And every time I thought of the more, I kept thinking about the way these sisters were living with love and life, and, and I wanted more of that. Um, and so eventually I, uh, I gave in and I made a, um, a secret trip to the U.S. and visited the sisters in the convent here in New York City. And I was, uh, and, you know, I, I, at that point I still didn't know what God wanted. Uh, but I realized that, you know, I had to ask God, what did he want for my life? What was his plan for me? Um, and waiting in the silence, he really spoke to my heart, you know, in a very simple but real way that we know when truth is spoken to us, uh, that he wanted me for himself. Being asked uh, that question of would you, would you follow me with your whole heart, my heart really had a response of its own that I wanted to, to follow him with everything. And so I went home and, and began to slowly pack up my life. And I've made the big trip across from Sydney to New York. And it's now been eight years that I've been a sister of life. And I'm constantly surprised by how much more Christ is constantly offering those who pursue him um, and how much he respects our freedom and really just wants us to be happy. <laughs> how delightful, sister. What a beautiful vocation yeah. story. And, and there's you. so much there's so much certainty in it. I guess when it's like falling in, well, yeah. it's, in, it's like any kind of falling in love right your eyes your eyes become full of that that one person and that's all you can see and you you make it happen right yeah yeah and without a doubt there were challenges almost every step of the way and there still are you know but um the beautiful thing about about the struggles you know leaving home and and daring to believe that god's plan for me is the best plan like all those those things that we all struggle with you know is is god really for me and bringing them to him um and allowing him the space to to respond and speak to us has allowed me to uh, really see how god will take care of everything in his time and his way we might not always see immediately what he's doing or why but he definitely gives us the grace at every point and over time sometimes he allows us to see what he was doing and a lot of the times he invites us to trust him in the mystery that he's always for us and he's always going to make something good and beautiful um out of pursuing him and, and following him and trusting that he's he's going to be there and sister were you always pro-life yeah. or is that is that was that something that um of course you believed but maybe you weren't so invested in it before you 
became a sister of life? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, I really was convicted, actually, when I was in high school. And I remember this, um, I would have been about 16 years old, and we were asked in one of our religion classes to, to choose any kind of human rights movement in the world and then go and do a research topic on it. And I remember looking through all the sufferings of humanity, you know, and, and looking across, you know, all the different ways the human person is, is attacked or suffering or lacking. And for some reason, at that age when I was 16, when I read about the reality of abortion and the vulnerability, not only of these these children that, that haven't been given the chance to live, but also these women that find themselves in, in situations where they feel like they don't have the support they need or they're they're left alone, shattered my 16-year-old heart. And I thought, oh my goodness, how can we how can we how can we let this happen? And what what more can we do to to let these children see life and to allow these young women and women of all ages to to experience uh, the gift of other women being there for them? And I experienced that in my own life of, of times when I've struggled or um, had low moments or really struggled through life. It's when women have come together and, and stood by each other that has been one of the most liberating and powerful experiences. And, um, and and I wanted that for other women that were my age, other young girls that were going through potentially an experience like that to know that, that women standing by women is powerful and that it can set us all free. Hmm. It would be wonderful if, if our whole culture reflected that kind of, of solidarity, mm-hmm. solidarity with baby, solidarity yeah. with women, solidarity yeah. with the family. And yeah. Catherine, you wrote a piece, uh, a really fabulous piece in National Review, and, and you connected some dots for us. Later on in the show, we'll be talking to Ed Penton, Edward Penton, about the, the terrible situation in Afghanistan. And you connected for us, Catherine, how we, f- and this is the name of the, the title of the piece, We Fail to Value Life in Afghanistan as at Home. I think you really, uh, again, connected the dots <laughs> as to how a disdain, a disdain for the most basic respect that, that we have as human beings, that solidarity for each other, the, the idea that all human beings are somehow valuable, um, is missing in in, in our culture and abortion here and also in, in these terrible scenes we're seeing in Afghanistan. Yeah, if you go back and read Humanity Vitae, Paul VI told us all of this would happen. So mm-hmm. much of what we're looking at in the in the world today. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is like he talked about how with the introduction of artificial contraception, you're ultimately pitting man, man against woman, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, with abortion, mother against child. And so if that most fundamental bond is broken, of course we're going to have so many different kinds of violence. I would even go so far, I mean, the, the, the violence that we tolerate in, on, in TV and music, it's just, it all, I believe, goes back to abortion and the fact that we look away from it, we pretend it's healthcare, we pretend it's uh, women's empowerment. It's miserable. And the more you spend time near abortion clinics, talking with women who are going in, who are so scared or so hardened because they've been hurt so much, it makes everything else make sense. You know, um, there's there's this poison in our bloodstream and it's not going to get better until we reject abortion. That's not just overturning Roe, like we were saying before. It means really living mm-hmm. 
the kind of things that Sister Mary Grace has been talking about. I would recommend everybody, everybody who's just sort of shocked watching what's happening in Afghanistan or was shocked by the violence last summer, uh, go back and read Evangelium Vitae. You know, the Gospel of Life really shows us how we can live differently. And it's, um, it's an opportunity offered to us. I think to some extent we've missed the boat and, um, and the existence of the Sisters of Life shows us what's possible if we really take up that, that rallying cry that John Paul II issued and that Cardinal O'Connor was so much a part of in, in founding um, the Sisters of Life. It is just all one garment, isn't it? One beautifully woven garment. You choose life at the beginning, at conception. You choose life at the end when people are, are elderly and vulnerable and sick. You choose life. If you keep consistently choosing life, then our world becomes a world of peace and mutual respect. And you're right, it's a poison in our blood because we've made, a, you know, in our, you know, in our country, in our culture, we've made a fundamental choice to choose death, to choose death in order mm-hmm. to liberate ourselves sexually. Although I always think, you know, we're really liberating unscrupulous men <laughs> more than anyone else. <laughs> it, really, it really does become a kind of enslavement. I, I don't listen to a lot of pop music anymore, but I, I recently heard a Rihanna song, a, a Rihanna song that it was called rude boy and it was so clear that the message was women use men or they're going to use you mm-hmm. and it's it's just it was it was such a misery to hear and but it it yeah this is this is what i'm seeing outside abortion clinics and in the streets of of manhattan and um, girls deserve better than this you know and the the men need to know that, that there's more to life than this. And uh, th- I also want to mention, Gracie, I just want to plug the Sisters of Life website. Um, y- you know, you can get a, a nice, um, deeper introduction um, into the sisters and their life and their ministry there and, and some of the, you know, op- uh, opportunities that um, that you can you can uh, avail yourselves of, like the t- retreats. Um, there's also a, a quarterly called Imprint that you can subscribe to for free. Um, which is really a beautiful, beautiful little magazine. And th- I mentioned this, the Litany of Trust Prayer. You can order some on the website. There's some other things. There's a beautiful children's book. Um, and there's also just out in the last week or so, there's actually a new Litany of Trust retreat book that you can get from Emmaus Press. And um, I highly recommend it. It's all, they're all tools to help you live the charism of the Sisters of Life, which is ultimately what we are called to as Christians in the world today. And what is the yeah. name of, how do we reach that website, Sister? It's sistersoflife.org. So it's www.sistersoflife.org. And the good news too, like gosh, as we talk about this and even even see that the troubles and the chaos that, that I think even as, as, as Catholics, we can sometimes see even more, you know, it's like we can see the mess all the more which can be a burden but you know the surprising and and good news that that jesus christ has given us is that there's nothing bigger than the love and mercy of god that in in the midst of all the darkness and chaos and confusion you know jesus christ has the answers and you know we're a seeking humanity that is is desperate to know who we are and we need to be reminded of those truths but to be relieved to know that that christ is he has won this battle for us and he he alone can reveal each one of us to ourselves you know who we are as gift and and known by him and chosen to know life and you know i can i can never hear enough uh, the truth of god's mercy that you know mm-hmm. even at the times when you know all of us don't choose life you know whether whether we were not free to or, or we just made bad decisions that um 
that God's that God's mercy goes even there, and that um, you know our histories and even the ways that we're failed or struggle at the moment don't define us. It's the love of God and His plan for us, which is a fullness of life, which is healing, which is freedom. So we never need to be afraid to to really to really seek the Lord and and let Him define us with His love and life. Well, Sister Mary Grace, you you inspire us and fill us with hope and and also with the knowledge of God's mercy, which is really the only thing we need to know in the end. So that was sistersoflife.org. And please be assured of our prayers. Thank you very much. And I thank you, Catherine, also for being here with us today. And and thank you for highlighting the work of the sisters. It's really a great mercy that we have them in the world today. Thank you both. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. We're going to be talking today a pro-life warrior that is doing great things for women in need in the state of Pennsylvania. Her name is Marie Joseph, and she runs two pro-life pregnancy centers in the state. Welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We really wanted to drill down on the importance of these centers, what they mean, the good that they are doing, the, the danger that they're in. And, and how central they are to the, the whole pro-life movement. And you, of course, are an expert. You have been working mm-hmm. uh, with the pro-life pregnancy centers in Pennsylvania since 2009. And you have mm-hmm. something called the Legacy of Life Foundation that we wanted you to tell us about. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, they're so, so important right now as a woman is facing an unplanned pregnancy, being able to give her real choice, right? Being able to help her to, to see the value of her own life life and and really what her options are and the truth about them right because because she doesn't they don't always know the truth about the decision they're making and what is the legacy of life foundation so we're operating centers for women and um, when they're facing an unplanned pregnancy we're providing a safe space for her to receive a free pregnancy test counseling on her options and ultrasound which is really important for her decision so in the state of Pennsylvania there is it's not abortion on demand it, a woman is to have an abortion information session mandated by the state, and then she is to um, be able to be counseled so that she has informed consent. And so she's supposed to be given all the, the specific information about the abortion procedure and uh, what the effects could be to her physically, emotionally, psychologically, and then presented with adoption as an option, and also that there are resources available and counseled in that area as well parenting that there are resources available and counsel to make sure that she fully understands what she is about to do. And we know that women are not receiving that when they go to the abortion clinic. So the first step that we're doing is providing that free information and a really amazing experience of of love and mercy and good information. And we're finding that there's so many women that have even had abortions already who have never had that, the the information they have a right to. Hmm. So the state uh, mandates that this this kind of counseling should be taking place. But in your opinion and your experience, it's not happening reliably in, in, exactly. in abortion clinics? Exactly. That it's a very quick process. They're asked, um, so you want to have an abortion? Why? I don't have enough money. Okay, that's a good reason. Have you thought about adoption? No. 
Um, and we find so many women don't really fully understand the beauty of adoption and creating a beautiful adoption plan for your child. Their mindset is that it's similar to foster care. And many women have had bad experiences in that area. So so they don't really have the right information. They're not being given the time and the right information about what that choice even is. Same thing with keeping the baby parenting, a beautiful option that they're just, uh, you know, I don't have enough money. I, you know, they're not telling anybody. So they're the women are on the run. So they're really taking advantage of the women that are coming to the clinics. And that's what we hear from the women that we get to minister to. They'll say, uh, I had an abortion six months ago, a year ago. I was never told this information. So a lot of times we're receiving a woman who's still in trauma from a, from a previous abortion and then realizing that she's experiencing you know, so many challenges emotionally, psychologically. She's she's connecting the dots in our center with us. Hmm. You know, it makes so so much sense from the from the perspective of the abortion clinic. I mean, what they're selling, they have exactly one uh, product, right? That they're selling on their menu. Absolutely, they're selling abortion, and they're that's their profit uh, motive. That's where they get all their money. So why are they going to help a woman? Um, understand that she has other choices uh, beyond abortion. Absolutely. And you know what? When I first started doing this, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I could have sold this woman abortion so easily today because as soon as she heard that we could help her, that, that there was that there was health insurance available for free. She she said, oh, that's why I was going to have the abortion. Then she said, I'll definitely want to keep my baby. So there were so many, uh, so many evident signs that, that, that they're taking advantage of women. Where I live in Miami, we have many people who are undocumented. And one thing that I know that uh, is a wonderful bit of news that women who come to our pregnancy centers here, here, uh, from the from the counselors is that they can give birth in a hospital in Miami and not have to pay up front or even pay if, they, if they're not able, even though they don't have insurance. Like that's that is something that, you know, we as a very generous state and a generous country, we, we take care of women who need to go give birth. <laughs> and we, you know, exactly. you don't have to give birth in the closet or on the street. There's so many resources mm-hmm. that are made available, whether it's government resources or men, the many, many, many nonprofits that we all collab we collaborate with and and also the funding at the legacy of life foundation that's what it goes for of uh, so many housing is a huge issue right now and uh and so so many women they don't even have the resources for or or the the family or someone in their life who could sit down and say let's make a plan let's make a budget let's look at what you what you do have and then let's fill in the gap we also the next step of what we do obviously the ultrasound is really important because the women get to see that it really is a baby so that's part of the information session but then advocating for them being family where there is no family and making that plan and a woman then realizes wow i didn't really think this through but I could do it. And if we help them with one of the things we help with is rent, you know, if, if we're if we're if we're working with a woman and, and she's made a commitment and she wants to choose life, then we could help with the first. Sometimes they just don't have that pot of dollars to be able to put down for the for the security deposit. And for somebody to just be a net, you know, someone who could actually assist so that they could get through that beginning of their difficult plan, you know, as someone who could then fund that, you know, for them or help them find a job or help them find the fi- the child care and assist with those early months when they're trying to make it work. So at the Legacy of Life Foundation, it sounds like you take a really holistic approach to to the woman Mm. and all her different levels of need. 
That's exactly what we do. So we're coming in, providing first the material help, and then we're also helping to help her make sure that she understands she has gifts and talents and discovering what those are. So we have a three-year program after a woman chooses life. It's called the STAR program, and it's it's self-transformation and renewal, spiritual transformation and renewal, and we are then going to walk with a woman and be family where there is no family, create community for her. It's five points to the star, family, community, discovering gifts and talents, um, building self-esteem, and then goal setting. And that's what the program is. And that's the transformational part. So our mission is to save lives and transform families. And so it's not just about, yes, you know, she, she chooses life and, and until that baby is delivered, there's some real serious advocacy that we need to do but then afterwards we're continuing to help her to be sustaining in her life and become whole and complete body mind and spirit that really puts a lie to that uh, pro-abortion talking mm. talking point that uh, pro-lifers only care about babies until the moment of they're born right Amen to that. Amen to that. Do you think that you are um, your foundation is unique in the United States, or or do you know of a, of a grassroots uh, movement across the United States trying to fill in all these gaps for for poor women and families? I do believe our approach is unique. However. I have heard of other groups that are taking similar approaches. And what's so beautiful about this movement is that we're all unique and are in, in a different way, right? So we all have charisms. Mm-hmm. And and so it's beautiful to see, and I believe the spirits behind us, uh, the, the charisms are all depending on, on the area that we feel like we want to provide. And so I think that there's there are other groups. And I think our specific charism is being able to have that unique opportunity to speak to a woman when she still believes that she has to have an abortion with love and mercy and no judgment so that she can speak to somebody without thinking that that there's an agenda you know that she's because she's fully we found that she'll be fully free to choose life if she's able to speak the truth about what's in her heart. And sometimes because she's on the run and she's feeling shame and guilt about this pregnancy, she's not thinking it through. And so having that opportunity is really a unique part. And, and then the transformational part, I think we're really focusing on on her becoming fully alive as a woman. And so so helping her, I'll give you an example. We had a woman um, named Terry who came in and she was living in a homeless shelter and then you know, we discovered that this, this girl was really smart. She had been to college, but she didn't have the life skills to stay in college. And so she failed out. But she came to our, our center and we helped her get a job at, at, at the supermarket. And she she learned how to bake at our center because we have cooking classes. And, and then she realized she loves baking. And so she got promoted to the bakery department. <laughs> and then she called me and said, I want to, can you help me do a business plan? Because I'd like to open my own bakery. I mean, it was like she started dreaming about a future that she never even knew that she could possibly imagine. So so those are the kinds of things that we're doing with women to help them really transform. 
How beautiful, Maria. And it sounds like women who choose life already have that big, beautiful achievement under their belt. And it and it opens mm. up for them better, bigger horizons, right? Like they already feel proud of themselves. Exactly. And then, and then the other thing is really love, you know, because so many women, they don't think they could be good mothers. And that's why they haven't had great experience with motherhood in their own lives, maybe. And so they don't think that they have. But with our help and being coming alongside them, they realize that once they have the baby, right, the shame and the guilt when the, about how they became pregnant, but once they deliver the baby, they start experiencing the unconditional love that God had planned before the world began for this woman to receive this love. She says, I never knew love like this until this baby. And now this baby is is everything. This baby is what's moving. I've seen, I've seen drug addicts become clean because of this baby. I've seen families reunited because of this baby. I mean, God has such an incredible, beautiful plan and it's our joy to come alongside be able to bring that to life. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we're talking to a pro-life warrior doing amazing work in the state of Pennsylvania for mothers in need. Her name is Marie Joseph of the Legacy of Life Foundation. Marie, where in the world do you come up with the funds for something that sounds very complicated and expensive? (laughs) Thank you, Gracie. That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked, I would have to say the most beautiful, blessed, generous people on the face of this earth are uh, donors of the Legacy of Life Foundation. And I'm so, so proud to say and excited for our donors who make this happen. And it really is just individual donors. I mean, there's no there's no government funding at this time. We don't have grants and, um, and we've grown. We grew so, so fast. I mean, just to give you an idea, when we started, there were about 25 women who chose life. And then our numbers are now between 350 and 400 a year. And um, 3,285 lives have been saved um, that were going to be aborted and women who've been able to transform. And so we grew so fast and it has just been individual people who feel moved by the grace of God to make a gift for life. And so that's that's really how we've been just telling the story. Uh, we don't even do a, a whole lot of fundraising events. We just tell the story. I speak all over. Um, we do a lot of parish work. So we come into a parish and we partner with a parish and uh, the Catholic churches that are so incredibly generous to allow us to commit, speak for a weekend um, and people make a gift. But we also then partner and share and report back and give the stories on life. Before we go, I want you to tell our listeners where they can um, where they can contribute and they can go online and, and read about your beautiful work. But we're going to have to help women and families to keep their to be able to have their babies. Um, and so we believe we're going to have to open more centers and we're going to have to have more services. And uh, and so I'm really encouraging everybody, especially all good Catholics, to really um, pray hard about this, about what else they can do, because we really do have to, as Catholics have always done, this is the issue of our time, we've always found a way to be able to provide services for people in need, and this is the biggest one of our time. Wow, I can't agree with you more, Marie. Where can people who are listening, or lis- where can they go and read about the, fun- the Legacy of Life Foundation and how they can help out? Yes, thank you so much. They would go to legacyoflifefoundation.org. The website is the best place 
to go www.legacyoflifefoundation.org. And, um, you know, we're on social media too, Facebook, Instagram, but if they go directly to the website, uh, people can make a gift right now. They can make it there and they can also find out more information on how to get involved. We have a prayer chain that goes out every night, Gracie, and it goes um, every day because this whole ministry, this whole mission is led first and foremost by prayer and by the Lord. And uh, we have mass at the center. We have a tabernacle there. We have Jesus in the Eucharist there. Um, but every night we send an email out our staff of every single woman who came in seeking an abortion that day and to pray for them. And I have good I have so many families that print that out every night and get on their knees and pray for these women. And then every time someone chooses to keep their baby, we also report that in on that email that goes out every night. So if they go to the website, they could look for how to take action. There's a tab there and they can choose to be uh, receive those prayer emails every night. Oh, thank you, Marie. I think I'm going to have to sign up for those. I can't think of anything better to do before I go to bed than to pray for <laughs> than to pray for a baby in danger and, and a mother in danger of breaking her heart. So thank you so much, Marie, for joining us. And we'll, thank you so much. We'll continue thank you to for pray for us. all your good work and may God continue to bless it. From all of us here on Conversations with Consequences, our best wishes go out to you on this beautiful 4th of July weekend. Happy Independence Day from the Catholic Association. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy for me to be with you as we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us this Sunday. As he reveals to us the crowning of what it means to be his disciple, to follow him so closely that his priorities become our priorities, his message our message, his mission our mission, his zeal for the salvation of others our own. The gospel, Jesus appoints 72 of his disciples and sends them out in peers to proclaim the gospel he himself had been proclaiming to them. A short time earlier, Jesus had sent out the 12 apostles, those who would become his first priests. But to share the gospel was not meant to be the task of priests alone. So he appointed 72, probably the 12 apostles and 60, of whom we would later call lay people, and sent them out to the neighboring towns and villages. The harvest is abundant, he said, but the labors are few. Jesus not only instructed them to pray to God the Father to send more laborers, but chose them as responses to that prayer as laborers for the harvest of souls. I've always thought that the 72 was more than a symbolic number, but probably implies that the Lord basically sent out everyone who was a willing, consistent follower. He wanted all hands on deck. Just as the Lord Jesus in this scene sends out basically everyone he had, so he wants each of us to grasp that he intends to send out, us out as well. Our willingness to pass on the faith is a sign of whether we really have faith, whether we know love and are living it. Those who have received God's love, who have heard his voice and received his light, can't keep that gift to themselves. Like St. Paul, we say, woe to me if I don't proclaim the gospel. We're bursting to share the treasure we've received to enrich others. How are we to carry out this apostolate of sharing the gospel that Christ gives us? Jesus gives us two principles that are valid in every age. 
The first is he sends out the 72 with a message. The message had two parts to it. Peace and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the two are connected. The peace they were to announce was precisely the peace that Jesus had been preaching. Peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. The way to experience that peace is to enter into God's kingdom, to allow the Lord to be the king of one's thoughts and actions. This was a revolutionary message. We've heard the words, the kingdom of God is among you so many times that perhaps they no longer startle us. But we need to think back to the context. The 72 were sent to proclaim this kingdom at one of the times of greatest strength in the Roman Empire, an empire that didn't take well to any challenges to its authority and was more brutal against supposed insurrectionists than a pack of wolves against injured animals. In the midst of Roman dominion, the 72 ordinary disciples of Christ were ambassadors of a different kingdom, a different type of allegiance, the kingdom of God. The two kingdoms didn't necessarily conflict, as Jesus himself pointed out, when he said, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But he also said that when there was a conflict, we were to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Jesus' disciples in every age are sent out to proclaim the priority of the kingdom of God, a priority we're supposed to be modeling and not merely mouthing. The second principle is that Jesus sends them out with a certain packaging for that message. They're sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves not wolves in the midst of lambs. They were to propose the gospel in a compelling way to others' freedom, not to impose anything. They were to proclaim the gospel with confidence, meekness, and the persuasive power of their faith, goodness, and holiness. That was why Jesus instructed them to go out with no purse, bag, or sandals. How could they possibly proclaim effectively the kingdom of God is at hand if others could suspect them of trying to increase the size of their purse or to build an earthly kingdom of their own? They were sent out two by two, even though they could have covered twice as much ground if they had been sent out individually, in order to show through their interaction with each other the love, forgiveness, and Christian fraternity that are at the heart of the gospel. Even the way Jesus prepared them to handle rejection, by wiping the dust off their feet as a witness of their rejection, rather than carry the pain of their rejection with them to another town shows that they were to carry only Jesus' message rather than resentment. This was all part of the packaging to reinforce the proclamation of the peace of the kingdom. These instructions are super important and relevant as we approach the celebration of the 4th of July on Monday. It's a day on which we thank God for the blessings we have as a nation, as well as for the enormous sacrifices made over the last 246 years to obtain and maintain that freedom. It's also a day on which we Catholics need to reflect on the service Christ is calling us to render our nation, which is, in a special way, the field he has called and commissioned us to harvest. The greatest service we can give to our country is, especially in a highly polarized time, to show the way of peace. And at a time in which some are showing increasingly intolerant, even totalitarian tendencies, to proclaim that Christ is alive and that his kingdom is at hand. The greatest contribution we can make as U.S. citizens is to live, as St. Paul said, as fellow citizens of the saints and members of God's household. The founding fathers of our country recognized very clearly that for our nation to endure, U.S. citizens needed to live as citizens of heaven and call others to do the same. The experiment in ordered liberty that is the United States of America would only succeed, they underlined, if the citizens were moral and religious, if they used their freedom well, if they obeyed God on their own and did the right thing even when they could get away with the wrong thing. 
President John Adams emphatically reminded us, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It's therefore crucial for those of us who love our country to keep these admonitions from our second president in mind, because so many of our fellow citizens, especially those in the secular media, many universities and legal profession, have not only forgotten them, but believe the exact opposite. In total disagreement with our founding fathers, they think that faith in God and religious morality are toxic threats to our Republican form of government. They'll tolerate our getting together on Sunday at church, provided that we don't try to live our faith in the public square. By lawsuits and other means, they've long been trying to eliminate all references to God from our schools, media, and culture, and to force a self-centered practical atheism on us and future generations. By doing so, they are threatening the very survival of the nation we love, which cannot Perdure, as John Adams wisely admonished, without religion and morality, which alone can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. Without grounding freedom in a truth beyond the license to do whatever we please, true freedom unravels. People begin to claim that they have the freedom, for example, to choose to abort their obviously human babies up to birth, or to redefine their sex and force everyone else to accommodate this invention, or to take their own lives regardless of the consequences to family members and loved ones, or to use increasingly addictive drugs and have society deal with the after-effects in rising homelessness, joblessness, and lawlessness. A notion of freedom severed from religion and morality ultimately weakens our country and begins to tear it apart because our Constitution is wholly inadequate to govern anyone but a moral and religious people. That's why, as we approach the 4th of July, we need to thank God for, for some of the recent decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court, like overturning Maine's law discriminating against religious schools, or the state of Washington's preventing even silent prayer at football games and similar functions, but especially the Roe v. Wade and KC versus Planned Parenthood decisions that legalized abortion in all nine months of pregnancy and have led in the last 49 years to over 63 million deaths of little ones at the basic stages of development you, everyone else, and I have passed through on our way to birth. Those decisions have corrected some egregious mistakes, but now moral and religious people must build on them to help reform the poisonous aspects of our culture by seeking to reestablish the peace that comes from God and help infuse our culture with the peace and values of God's kingdom. At the end of the Sunday's Gospel, the 72 disciples returned rejoicing at the power of Jesus they witnessed as they were sharing the faith. Despite the power of the Roman Empire, the seeds of the kingdom were successfully bearing fruit. As happy as they were about this, Jesus said that they should be even happier that their names are written in heaven. None of us is a number. We're all a beloved name to God and to the saints, just as those to whom God sends us are likewise beloved. As Jesus, at the end of Sunday Mass, prepares to commission us anew to go in peace to announce his kingdom, let us ask him to strengthen us by his body and blood, so that we might live always in a holy communion with him, experience the power that comes from that bond, go out with courage to bring others into that same life-saving union, and strengthen our country by reproposing the faith that has helped over its history to make it strong. The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few.
That's why God has chosen us out of love for him, for others, and for our nation. Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com. And you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy. And you go with our prayers. 